I want to thank our sponsor, Planet Ford. Planet Ford has always been a proud supporter of law enforcement in the community, providing customer service and fleet management, sales and service. If you're looking for that personal quality service, contact Planet Ford in spring or online at planetford.com. You're listening to Crime Scene Today, where we talk about current issues facing law enforcement, forensics, and crime scene investigation. I'm your host, Dan Zintek. Joining me today, I have Ashley Church and Aaron West, co-founders of Gap Science. And we're going to talk about some of the things that they uh, found important and have brought to uh, sort of their attention they felt needed to be addressed in the crime scene world. So Aaron, Ashley, thank you for coming on, joining us today. Um, a little bit of, of background. Uh, so, Aaron, uh, you recently were promoted. What are you currently doing? You, you got a promotion. So what, what are you now doing? Yes, I did get a promotion about a month ago. It's been a little hairy while I've been, uh, you know, accommodating to my new role. But I was promoted to the crime scene manager at the Osceola County Sheriff's Office um, down here in Kissimmee, Florida. So I am over our forensic unit, which is our crime scene investigators and our DNA pre-screening lab, um, over our latent print unit and our fingerprint services. So that's what I'm doing now. Well, congratulations. And, Thank and, you. And, and Ashley, <laughs> you, you have a past in this too. So, so tell us your, your role in crime scene. I do. So Aaron and I met. Um, we worked for the same department, and I was at the time the supervisor over the crime scene unit and the pre-screening DNA lab, and she was supervisor over the lightning print unit. Um, and prior to that, I just worked as a crime scene technician. Um, I loved field training officer work. So I did train, I think, probably about 12 people while I was there. And now I dove full-time into our company, Gap Science. So that's what we do. We train forensic professionals across the nation. So, and, and you brought up a point of something that sort of drew my attention and um, we're going to talk as far as accreditation and different things like that. But, you know, y'all talk about field training and it seems to be that a lot of field training is focused at the patrol level, right? We know when they get out of the academy, we really need to give them some more education before they hit the streets, right? And then after they move to a supervisor, Maybe there's one course, right? It's like 40 hours, 24 hours, you know, here's how to quote supervise. That's, that's really it. But if you go into specialized area, um, homicide, crime scene, there, there's things related to your job, right? You're going to get sent to a blood stain. You're going to get shooting reconstruction, but it, it, there is, there's a, a lacking. And I, I guess there's, there's training by you usually get assigned to a partner and follow them around and do what they do, right? Um, but yeah, if you're lucky, if otherwise, you know, Hey, here's the lab and here's the keys and you know, don't, don't drink the chemicals or something. I don't know. But, uh, yeah. so, but then it also goes to that supervisor role and, and what I found across the board, I, I don't care if it's uh, patrol homicide CSI that I find it very rare that when someone promotes that, uh, your lieutenant or sergeant, whoever it is, sits down with you and says, hey, this is what I expect you to do. Right? Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. <laughs> like, 
you know, and, and I'll tell you an experience I had when I promoted once. Uh, I had that. I was, I was like, okay, here I am. And obviously we all know is as much as you may look up to your sergeant or your lieutenant or whatever, just because they got that badge, they had no more clue as to what to do that day that they got promoted. And so you walk in and say, okay, what do you want me to do? Okay, what, what's expected of me or whatever. Yep. Uh, my answer that I received the first time was, we'll just wing it. Yeah. Okay. And, <laughs> Supervisors uh, are winging it across the nation. Yeah. Yep. So, so and it's I, not like their fault, you know, if they no. don't get the opportunity to receive training, um, how can we really hold them accountable for stuff that they don't know? Um, but going back to like, the very beginning of what you were saying was, you know, as technicians or detectives, like you receive so much training on how to do your job, right? right? And then once you get promoted into any type of leadership role, it's just, oh, it's like an innate ability to be able to train someone and effectively teach them. It's innate ability to be able to budget a million dollar crime scene lab um, and keep up with supplies and ordering. And it's an innate ability to be able to write an effective evaluation and have good communication skills. Um, so definitely that's what Aaron and I struggled with so much was how do we do these things? Cause we did, we were just winging it. Um, and we did receive some training, right, Aaron? But, um, it was either very generalized or it was geared towards sworn personnel and we were civilians. Or, or it's situational. It's, it's, you know, what do I need to know? Well, I'll let you know when, when that thing happens. Right. Yeah, and, exactly. and when it happens, then you come in and you get some direction on that thing. But yeah, you know, yeah, you're right. There, there's nothing that, you know, just because you, you got the promotion, you got the, the badge or stripes or whatever, whatever happened. Um, no, you, you didn't all of a sudden go to sleep and get this knowledge. And I think the most yeah. disappointing thing <laughs> is when you're at the lower level, like when you're at the, the deputy or the investigator level and you're looking up to your sergeant, you know, and then you become that sergeant and you're like, yeah, I don't know any more than I knew yesterday. I mean, yeah. it's, there's nothing, nothing <laughs> yeah. special about this, right? Um, most supervisors, I mean, we found most supervisors are kind of fumbling through it too. Um, like Ashley said, you know, we were... I've been promoted several times throughout my career at different agencies. And every time I was promoted, I was just dropped in. And then it was just a sink or swim situation. So, I mean, that's really where gap science came about because we were really like, we get, we have to do better, you know, and yeah. um, not only all the things she was talking about, you know, all of the um, providing feedback and communication and all of those things that, we have to learn those skills. Um, on top of that, forensic supervisors are required to do all these extra forensic specific skill sets like auditing and, um, you know, auditing casework and all of that. Right, your kind peer of review stuff. and stuff. Right. Right. And yeah, technical reviews and administrative reviews and all of that stuff. And a lot of times when you're promoted over the forensic units, you don't have a person in your chain that you can go to and be like, I have a forensic specific question I need answered. Right, right. Um, you, you might have a leadership mentor if you, you have a good supervisor that you can go to and be like, hey, I have this 
personality conflict or something like that, how do I resolve that? But you can't get all those forensic questions answered. Like, how do I go about getting my lab accredited? You know, your your captain's like, I have no idea. So just get it done. Let's yeah. just yeah. make make and that on happen. A side note with that, so you get promoted and you only know what you know, which is the skill set that you had as a technician or detective, right? Um, so what we see a lot of times is people get promoted because of their seniority or because they were really good at the technician level. Um, but we don't promote based off of leadership skills. Just because you're a great technician does not mean that you're an effective supervisor. And just because you're not the best technician doesn't mean you can't be a great supervisor. Um, so what we see a lot of times when you get promoted and you don't know how to be a supervisor, you just fall back on what you know. And that's how supervisors just they can't let the old job go. You'll see them um, still put themselves on the on-call schedule. You'll still see them taking casework. And it's like, there's so much more that you can be doing to make your unit better and push your unit forward and um, you know motivate your personnel. Like you have yeah. to let that casework go. Well, and, and I think it starts falling to, and you know, something a lot of people don't consider when they start seeing uh, micromanaging many times it's it's not so much of this control factor that they want to have it's this comfort factor they know that job right yeah. they know because they came from that and they know what they were doing and, and they can they can talk about that all day long but where they have trouble is actually doing the current job they've been given and yeah. you know as y'all point out it's it's not for a lack of of want i mean it's yeah. it's those conversations where you walk in going what is expected of me? You know, where, where's my list? Like, what's my to-do list or where's my policy? <laughs> yeah. I mean, because there's a policy on how the lab there's works, nothing. but where's the where's the layout on what the sergeant does or where's the layout exactly. on what's expected of, of this? And and as you said, it, it's very rare to find that. Yeah. And, and it's like so, a trial by fire. Like, the only, the only way I learned how I was, what I was supposed to be doing was they're like, Hey, you screwed up. Why didn't you do this thing? Oh, I didn't know I was supposed to. I guess yes. I'll do it from now on. Like that's how you learn in that type of position, which doesn't feel very good, right? No, and <laughs> if you I had mean, a list, it would be much better. Well, and the and the underlying factor, I mean, we we talk about a business because it is, and we talk about uh, our jobs related to management and leadership because it is, but the underlying foundation when we fail at our jobs or something drops through okay we're talking about our citizens possibly yeah. uh, a a sexual assault victim a murder victim a family i mean these are the end result of us not managing and doing things proper right yeah. i mean yes, it, yes. it's not a bottom line of finance it's not hey the product went down i mean and, and those things There's i mean so it's so many stories you know, of that right now too. You know, just, just all kinds yeah. of craziness going on in forensics where there was just a, a lack of supervision or, or anything like that. And you had brought up earlier about, um, you know, officers going through FTO programs. And, and obviously that's something we cover in Gap Science too, because we, you know, we feel like it's very structured for officers. Like everybody knows that an officer is going to run through this structured training program and everybody's well aware of the liabilities of cutting that training program. 
but then forensic training programs often there isn't one at all or you know they do get cut they're trying to push personnel through her quickly without really thinking about the ramifications of doing that are the same as cutting an FTO, an officer's FTO program short. Um, but then on top of that, you know, to be putting people in supervisory roles and also not providing them any kind of training or structured training program so they can be successful at their job too, is also really can be a liability for, for agencies as well. Well, and the yeah, supervisor really programs that you come across are, are geared towards patrol, right? Yes. I mean, you, you can find how to be a supervisor and they're going to talk. I mean, uh, some of the stuff's basic. I mean, you'll, you'll have your disc assessments and personality assessments and whatever. And mm -hmm. it's like, Hey, these people, you know, should work together and these are part of your team and understanding. And, and yeah, that's across the board, but a lot of them really focus on that whole patrol side of things versus yes. uh, a, a difference of what's happening in the lab. Yeah, yeah and we, I think part of the problem too is like we don't get treated like a high liability unit. Um, I, I know Erin and I have come across through several of our trainings where the perspective is like, oh, you just collect evidence. Like, what can you, what what bad stuff can you really do? What things can you really screw up? And it's like actually a whole lot. Like there was. Um, a perspective like the worst thing that we can do since we're a civilian unit is to um, accept free coffee. Like we literally got told that, and it's like um, there's an entire Netflix series on yes. about right. what is it called, Aaron? How, How to fix is... a drug scandal. Yeah. <laughs> so um, what is this? So what, what's it called? Oh, you should watch. How to fix a drug scandal. How to fix a drug scandal. Okay, yeah. no, I, I have not seen that one. I've seen a bunch of the Netflix series. But it's excellent and shocking. It's excellent. And but very yeah, shocking. The whole course, I mean, the ethics portion of that course, when it was a sworn officer that was teaching and they were used to teaching law enforcement and they had civilians in that class, civilian forensic supervisors, and he wasn't really familiar with forensics, so he couldn't think up a lot of ideas of things people could do in a forensic unit that would be unethical. So he kept using the example of like getting free coffee. If you get free coffee, that's unethical. But that was the only that, that thing was the best thing he of. had, right? Yeah, you that know, was the only thing he could think of that a forensic unit could do that could be unethical. So. You know, and and you talk about the liability, and certainly there is in a lab. I'll tell you a place that that I find yeah. that it is really not looked at and really, I guess, downplayed is our property rooms. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I yes. mean the. The understanding of the liability that exists in that property room of managing evidence, making sure it's secure and, and the chain of custody and that it's, you know, packaged properly and not dripping on this and that and releasing it to people that don't need to be and securing it for the DAs. And yeah, I, I think that's overlooked in many times, uh, at least in our area, that's nearly all civilian. Yes, yes absolutely. And we found too, through our teaching that, um, a lot of agencies are lumping these units together because they just think like, oh, crime scene and latent prints like and evidence, they're all kind of the same right. thing. So we're just going to squish them together. And then, you know, two people are going to do all three things or things like that. Like we'll teach a class and, you know, students will be like, I, I do crime scene and latent prints and property and I run the agency drone and I do, you know, digital forensics and open record and, request yes yeah. <laughs> yeah we're like that's way too much it's way too much like 
All of these areas are very specific, very dangerous areas if you don't have people that are managing them effectively, working in them properly. Um, they all have a lot of details, a lot of rules and regulations that go with each individual area. So when you have, you know, one person that's doing like tons and tons of different high liability jobs that are really like completely separate, um, distinct areas, it can be. It You're can sitting get back a figuring out which one they're going to drop, right? Exactly. I mean, I mean, one of those you give so much to somebody, uh, they're either not going to be effective in all of them. Uh, you yes. set them up to fail in, in something. And yes. it, it's how bad is it going to be? You know, exactly. that's that's sort of and what you're waiting for. A lot of times, like like she said, there's just one person that does everything and there's no one else in the agency that knows what they do. So how how do you know they're doing their job properly if no one else knows what they're supposed to be doing? Yeah. Well, just and it's <laughs> and again, when you don't think there's a liability, when you don't understand um what they're responsible for uh it usually reflects in their pay and in the budget and in their training uh yeah. i know when i started uh at a particular agency that had that uh and it was not that long ago so we're not talking uh inflation type things uh not long ago they were making right at 19 or twenty thousand dollars a year you know Ooh. and they were over the evidence okay wow. it's like i mean sort of get what you pay for type thing. I mean, Absolutely. who's going to show up to apply for that job? Who's going to take that job? And then, yeah, or they're, seriously. You know, <laughs> you and, know? and, and they're over your capital murders and, you know, these things that have to be, you know, in our state kept forever. I'm sure same as y'all's, uh, that this stuff can never go away and, and, yeah. and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I, I think the, the lack of understanding sometimes, uh, creates numerous, uh, issues along the way and you're right I, i've certainly seen um uh, when i've taught before uh, the people that show up for uh, whether it's detective crime scene or photography those type of things it's the so many roles that they have I me mean, for one they're pulling up in their patrol car you know because they're they take calls and then they got their crime scene stuff in the trunk and you know they're also they gotta get back to the station to release the property which on a check and balance system is sort of an issue to begin with, right? Okay, you're the one collecting it, you're the one processing it, and you're the one who's saying, No, I did all those things. Yeah. Right. And it's it's no, it's in the back. It's it's under K, right? You know. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very common. I mean it it's really very common. The the more classes we've taught, the more we see that there are a lot of agencies that have, you know, one or two people that are doing tons of different things and a lot of times when those people come to our courses and they tell us that they're very proud of the fact that they are doing like five or six different like full-time forensic duties and the truth is like you said earlier is you won't you, you'll know a little bit of everything but you won't do anything very well because you're not really dedicating to learning that particular craft very well so um and, and, and I'm you sure, can't. You know, like that's a yeah, lot of yeah. training and knowledge and expertise for all of those different things. There's no physical way that you can dedicate yourself to learning all of those crafts. <laughs> yeah. Well, and one of the things that uh, y'all talked about is obviously when you give all those tasks is, is the burnout, 
right? Oh, you're going to overwhelm them. Yeah. And, and as you know, Ashley and I were talking a little bit before the show, as far as the cost of training somebody, I mean, when, yes. when you're training those specialized units, it's, you know, over the course of their short career can add up to $30,000, a hundred thousand, depending on what they're getting into, you know, uh, and, and then they're going to leave and you have a new person coming in that you're going to have to pay the same amount for. Right. Yeah. And then you're reinvesting all of your time and energy to get another new person through and then they get overwhelmed with a ton of work and then they leave and you just, the, the door just keeps, the revolving door just keeps going. So and then the yeah. people that do stay, you know, have to deal with having a short staff. So they're getting burnt out too, right? Right. Well, and, and also that goes back to your FTO part is so when you have that person leave, the brand new person cannot come in, you know, uh, kick down the door and go, all right, I'm ready to, I'm ready to go on call. Y'all take a break. Right. Which is I mean, what some agencies actually do. It's kind of scary. Yeah. What, what would you do? Yeah. I mean, what do you do on a crime scene when you've never been on a crime scene? I mean, it's, you just, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you basically say, uh, yes. anybody got a camera? I got a bunch of yellow tape back here. I mean, we're going to figure it out. I don't, I, I can't we're even wrap my head around how you would, how you, I guess you just do it, but I don't, yeah. obviously you do it ineffectively. Yeah, the more that we've done these trainings, um, I feel for those agencies because um, you can tell based off of the student's expression, like it's it's a problem, right? Um, not having a training program, not having a well-developed training program. Some agencies don't have any training programs at all. Some of them just do like a job shadow for a few months and then sign off. Okay, you're good to go. Um, so that is a huge issue that we've come across well we've seen that across yes. the board in fto is people just you know when are they going to be released when are they going to be released yes. oh yeah okay. the pressure's yep. on right right are, are they done that really, that really comes down to the supervisor you know the oh, supervisor has to be able to to tell the command staff their training program is however long it is and that's how long it is you know um, and sometimes supervisors feel that pressure, so they force people out. But our job as a supervisor is to filter some of that stuff from our people. So they they shouldn't even know that anybody's asking, like, how much longer till they're done so that they have the time to finish the training program and, you know, all the time they need to be trained well uh, so they can go out there and, and jump right in. And they do, you know, if they're trained well and you take the time and you don't rush them, they dive right in and they help the unit instead of hindering the unit. When we rush them out too fast, just so we have a body on call, then it, it becomes an anchor for the unit because you constantly have to help that person because they didn't get the training they needed to, to do the job well. Yeah, so. and I know Aaron uses this analogy all the time where if you go back to the command staff and you're like, well, how about we cut this phase of a sworn officer's program they'd be like oh my gosh no like there's so many issues with that and so much liability it's like it's the same thing for any type of forensic unit too like if you yeah. cut a portion of the training program that the trainee needs in order to do the job function when they get out they're not going to be very good at it yeah right. and across the board uh any training program when it when it's pushed and, and i've seen it sadly throughout my career you see a person who has a problem and you don't see it till they're halfway through or you don't see it till the end. Right. And, yeah, and it's a go. problem that, that needs to be addressed. 
Yeah. And in reality, they need to go, right? I mean, yes. there's there's certain people that that don't need to be CSIs. There's certain ones yep, that don't absolutely. need. No, no matter if if their heart and long desire has been to do this, they they just don't need to be the one yeah. doing that. They're not equipped for it, and but they're nearly done. Right. This is right. their bus. <laughs> but 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 they're nearly done, right? We've already spent nine weeks on them. We've already spent 10 weeks on them. You didn't see this earlier, right? We just, gonna be worth just, it. just sign off and, and we need to get somebody out there. We'll figure it out later. And those are the people who we're, we're addressing problems <laughs> yeah. the next year and the next year and, and having to address. And, and it's, it's so much easier for one, I think besides doing a disservice to the department, doing a disservice to your citizen, you're doing a disservice to them. Absolutely. Who yeah. wants to show up to work and feel like they're failing every day? I know yeah. I wouldn't. I feel yeah. like it's the, the kinder thing to do is to let them go um, and fill it with someone that is going to be more effective and your team is going to appreciate that so much better. Yeah. And we're actually really huge advocates of too. And obviously this depends on your agency, but you know, if you, if you have an open position and you do an interview board and your candidates, your candidate list is not a good list. You don't choose from that list. Just right. leave the spot open and do it again. And that's really painful for a lot of agencies and they'll just pick someone out of that group so they can fill the spot. Um, but it's, it's going to hurt the team in the long run to put someone that's a bad fit in yeah. one of those spots, just so you have a body in a spot. It's better to wait and find a, a good candidate for those positions. Right. Yeah, it all boils a, down to, are you, are you looking for a CSI or a body? Right. Cause, exactly. cause, cause <laughs> we can, we can get one of those pretty easy, uh, but it's not going to do the job. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I've seen that you, you throw the letter out and, and I've seen the other side where it's narrowing it down so much to any type of person to apply that you make it where just the one or two are able to be there and you're missing out on some other people, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We've definitely had to, um, we have had to really think outside of the box to get our positions filled. Now, crime scene, I feel like when you post crime scene positions, like everyone and their mother applies for them. Tons of people apply. Um, for us, for our latent positions, we'll post latent positions and we'll get like no applicants. Yeah, with. no one wants to do that. I'm just kidding. Yeah, just kidding. <laughs> so we, we really had to think outside the box. Like there are not trained examiners just floating around out there waiting for a job to come open like everybody's employed nobody's looking so every time we post it's it's open for forever but we've had i mean inside our agency we have people throughout the department that have come in into another unit waiting for a position to come open in forensics and then a position will come open in Layton's and command staff will be like, oh, so-and-so has a degree in forensics. And you have to be like, hold on. A right. degree in forensics does not mean you will enjoy Layton friends. You can't just pick somebody up and stick them in that unit and hope they'll be successful, you know? So, but that's, again, that's that knee jerk. Like we have a hole, we need to put a body there kind of thing. Just moving someone over without really seeing if it's a good fit. Right, possibly better line art or a fine yeah. art degree, something that likes to <laughs> just stare at black and white things all day long yes. and compare them. To, exactly. 
you know, yeah. the, the other thing we face is, and I know that we saw this a lot in homicide as well as crime scene, there are many people that apply to do it to have the title. Right. Absolutely. They they look cool, right? Right. They they want to they want to be the homicide detective. They want to be yeah. the the CSI. They don't want to do the job. Yeah. They yes. just they just want to have the title, and uh, I remember we had one test uh, for homicide, and and during during the deal he basically said that he didn't like dead bodies. I'm like what? I mean, I, this, is, this, this is going to be an issue. Okay. I mean, uh, so, I mean, you may be great at interviewing and all the other aspects of what we're doing, but, um, there, there's going to be a time that you will see yeah. a, a dead body in homicide. So, um, yeah. And, and those, I definitely think that it's a passion. It's a passionate position that you really, and you can tell, I mean, you, you know, the people on the team that they're, you know, you got to tell them to go home at times yeah. because they're so involved in what they're doing uh, versus the ones that are, they're mad every time the phone goes off because they're going to the next call or whatever. And um, they sort of weed themselves out just because they move on, but how much time and money has been wasted along the yeah. process. Yeah, so y'all gotten to teach uh, many agencies uh, with some of these things you've seen. So what, what has been sort of the, the things that stand out that, that seem to be a, a general need to be improved on? Well, what you already pointed out definitely is burnout. And I think um, we have a course called Forensic Supervision. And it's kind of enlightening for a lot of people like, oh, I'm the one that should be modeling like good behavior in order to avoid burnout. But us as supervisors, um, we kind of forget or don't realize how much our staff is paying attention to our own behaviors. It's not enough to say like, you verbally say like, hey, um, you know, take care of yourself, go home at the end of the day, um, you know, take a break when you need it. But what is your supervisor modeling? Are they going home at the end of their shift? Are they coming early and staying late? Are they um, taking their work home with them? Are they um, eating their lunch at their desk? Like we, you know, if we want to try to mitigate burnout for the job, like it starts with us, right? So, so that's definitely something that, um, you know, I think everyone across the nation kind of feels. I think uh, if you're at a really big, uh, big agency, at least for crime scene investigators, I felt, felt burnt out. Um, around the three-year mark and like fried by the five-year mark. You know, one thing that I know um, we've done in crimes against children, um, you know, it's just sort of a, a mental thing is every, uh, for the most part, it's usually a max of three to five years and you don't have a choice. Like you're out. Yes. Okay. Um, I like it. But I do too. Um, and when we present I like that idea, people are like, "Oh my gosh, I have to go do something else." It's like, yeah, but it's it's a healthy thing. Like it's well, healthy for everyone. <laughs> and and I don't think it's for everyone. And I I think that's the I think that's sometimes the issue. I think majority. I think it is. I think um, like where it is right now. Uh, there's there's only so long that you should probably just. Um, hearing and watching especially in the video and 
photo world that we have of mm -hmm. children under the age of 10 being raped. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, that for anybody, right. Even NECMIC rotates their people every three years yeah. that's steadily looking at child porn all day. Um, it's an understanding going into that, that, um, you're going to invest so much money every three to five years. Like that, just make it part of your budget because this is going to happen. Right. Um, but then there's the ones, I guess, to a point, I, I don't want to really say outside the norm, but, um, like I had one detective that their goal, I mean, like they said, I went to the police academy to work child crimes. I knew I had to do time on the street to make it to detectives, but this has been like my life goal. I don't want to go anywhere. Like this is, I plan on retiring here. I plan on working kids crimes for until someone makes me leave, you know? Yeah. So, and obviously that person excelled above any other detective because of their passion doing it and whatever. Right. So do you make it a mandatory? Right. Do you make oh, someone yeah. leave that obviously has that passion? And, and certainly I've seen the same thing with crime scene. I know some CSIs yeah. that they have no desire to do anything else because right. they, they love doing that. Right. Um, so I don't know. I mean, mandatory well, or yeah. evaluation, what, you know, I mean, emotional wellness, it's not a one size fits all thing, you know, I think right. um, I agree. for, yeah, for us as, as supervisors, we have to learn to be perceptive and know our people well enough to know when they are struggling with something or with what particular things trigger for them and just kind of move away from the old school mentality. I mean, I've been in forensics now for almost... 20 years creeping up on it but um you know when i started in forensics it was very much i mean it's it's law enforcement you know so it's very much like suck it up buttercup this is what we do kind of right thing. you're weak just, just get on with your it. feelings down and and to be perfectly honest i'm that kind of person anyways i'm totally like a put your put your big girl pants on and deal with it kind of person um, but it's not fair, you know, if it doesn't bother me, it doesn't mean that it doesn't bother somebody else. So we just have to be perceptive about it. I, I don't, I don't necessarily know, you know, if it's fabulous to force people out, but I love that they have the option to, to rotate in and out regularly without it being a, um, a negative thing, you know, so for us, you know, some of the agencies that I've, we've worked for, it, it is a negative thing. If you want to move to a different unit or move to a different forensic discipline, um, it's not uh, it's not taken like it is for the officers. I mean, officers move around their whole career. That's why a lot of them, I think, stay at agencies for so long because they can work in all these different departments. And so they move around, they learn new skills, they stay engaged, they eliminate burnout. Uh, but us in forensics, we don't always have a lot of places we can go. So if there's anywhere else in your department where you could move for a little while to get refreshed and then come back to forensics, you at least would keep all that, all that money and training and skills and knowledge inside the department. So 
I don't know about forcing people out, but I do think we, we do have a responsibility to be perceptive for our people. Well, I, I know that uh, one thing that we also have done in relation to our, our crimes against children, and I think would be beneficial in many different areas, is so if you work the crimes against children, there is a, not the EAP stuff, but there is a psychologist. They come in yeah. uh, every six months. Yes. Uh, and it's it's not the leadership has nothing to do with it. It's just every six months you go see this person, you know, yeah. and, and you talk to them and it, it's separate. Again, it's not the EAP stuff. It's just something totally designed for that. And I really, even though we've started talking about mental wellness and such in uh, a little bit more in police work and a little bit more. Um, and I do, I, I really think that on the CSI and homicide level and, and things, um, it's nearly perceived as y'all see this every day, yeah. right? Yeah. And, it's just normal, and right? It, instead of thinking it of, oh my God, y'all see this every day. It's, it's just, oh, it's just part of your job, right? You're, you're used to mm -hmm. this, right? Yeah. And, and I guess sadly to a point, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, yes. Yeah, we... but that mentality and that mindset isn't going to get you very far. You're expecting someone to enter this field and see that stuff and be around that stuff every single day for 30 years until they retire. Like there's no one that's going to be able to come of that and be able to have stability. Right. There's, and I agree. I mean, if, if things are not put in place, you're, you're going to see effects from it at bare minimum. Yeah. Okay. I mean, uh, uh you're going to see changes in behavior and, and just, uh, and we've seen it. I mean, uh, yeah. sleep patterns and everything else. I mean, uh, yeah. one thing I, I seem to have found common and I've in the past couple of years have headed into an admin role. So I'm not on call like I used to be, but I can tell you when I was on call, it seems to be a common theme. Y'all, uh, see what y'all have experienced. I used to wake up at two o'clock for no apparent reason, because that's just when calls normally came in. My phone wasn't ringing. Oh, yeah. If yeah, I incredibly stressful, I, I don't even think people don't realize it until they're not on call anymore. How much stress there was. I mean, I remember when I first transitioned from crime scene to like latents and I got rid of my phone. I couldn't believe how much just kind of like regular anxiety I had just carrying the phone around because it was just like a regular thing. Right, you're, you're hypersensitive. I mean, yes. it's... Yeah, you're, you're or instant anxiety when you hear it ring, like yep. automatic. Doesn't well, what about, what, what, what about when you had a good night's sleep and you wake up at 7 in the morning and you immediately jump up like, oh my God, I didn't yeah. hear the phone. Right, yeah. I had to have missed it. Oh, okay. yes. That happens like, all the time. Now, I mean, I'm back on call now and I, even in my own home, you know, on the weekend, I'll be like, where's my phone? Where's my phone? Like looking around. Right. It's got to be attached to you. Here. Yeah. So it affects a lot. And it, this is a completely different topic, but it's actually kind of sad. Like, um, I don't know if uh, your experience is the same, but we wouldn't get compensated for being on call. The only way you get compensated is if you actually get called out. Right. Yeah. No, we're the um, same. So, and there's some agencies that actually do give you like something in your paycheck for being on call for X amount of hours a week. And I think that's great because it affects you so much, like you said. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I no, it's, it's, uh, it's put in place that, uh, I mean, 
legally and otherwise, yes, there's supposed to be some type of compensation when you have restricted employees' ability to do things. But uh, I find it uh, more common than not that, no, you're, you're not compensated in any way unless that phone rings and from the time you start rolling. Yeah. Um, and and some I, I've heard even some places that, that it's not until you get there, you know, and yeah. so that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> as far as like other opportunities um, for like formal debriefings, it, we've seen a lot of like resistance toward it um, because it has such a negative connotation. People are afraid to open up during those meetings because what if it affects their employment and blah, blah, blah. Um, but I, I just don't think we do it enough. Um, you know, it took years for me to have an actual formal debriefing. And that was after Pulse in Orlando, the mass shooting. And that was it. Um, so in order for those to be effective, you know, people try it once and they're like, oh, that didn't work. No one opened up. Well, yeah, like, I don't know if you've ever gone to therapy, but the first few sessions is just you getting to know the therapist. You don't really gain any traction until you do it um, like three to five sessions, you know? So yeah. there's a ton of opportunity for us to have more debriefings and it's not just the mass shootings that are going to affect people mentally and emotionally. Um, you know, maybe, um, baby deaths affect certain people, maybe, um, sexual assaults affect certain people cause they have, you know, a past. No, I don't I don't know if there's one versus the other. And the only reason I say that is because I've I've seen so many times that when we both go to scene, all three of us go to the same scene and it has no effect on me. It has no effect on Aaron. But for some reason, that particular scene affected you. Right. Yes. All three of us head to another scene. Right. We go to 10 other scenes. None of us are bothered by it. We go to the next scene. That one bothers me. Right. Yep. It, it's just something just individual uh, about that that connects. And, and I think that also leads to the problem of um, reaching out and talking because you're like, why aren't they affected? Right. Yeah. It didn't bother them any. OK. Why is it bothering me so much? You know, yes. I think we're starting to move past that. Kind of like brush yeah. it up under the rug. Like, oh, uh, like. They're just making a big deal out of it for no reason. It's like, no, they're actually affected by it and we need yeah. to address it. I will say they started doing, um, like you said, for us, they're requiring us to do a mental health assessment. Um, we're just doing it yearly, but all the forensic professionals in our agency have to, to go to that once a year. And, um, and I just did mine last month and I will say like one of the really nice things about it is if you are struggling with stuff, not only, you know, do you have the opportunity to talk about it, but they provide you in that private it's, it's required. So nobody can not attend it. It's part of right. our employment, but it, they expose you to so many resources in that. So they're making people attend, but then if you're having problems with, um, you know, suicidal thoughts or alcohol or um, abuse or anything, even if you just want to find a, a different therapist or whatever, they connect you with 
all these resources through the whole entire process. So instead of like you having to walk down to the HR office and get an EAP pamphlet and call EAP, this forced um, session gives you just easy access to all of those resources if you need them. So I did think that that was, that was nice. You know, not only did they go through, you know, your whole life with you and see if there were any points you were struggling on, but they also gave you easy access to resources where you didn't have to, you know, go find resources from, you know, where someone could see you picking up the pamphlet or, or something yeah. like that. So, right. There, there's yeah. still that negative. Um, and again, I think it's gotten better. I really do. I think yeah. we're certainly talking about a lot more uh, yeah. for, for whatever reasons we've gotten to this point, I'm glad it's heading to that point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there's still the negative side of, um, I think the biggest thing right now is when you see someone affected is the negative connotation of, are they okay? Can I trust them to do their job? Yeah. Okay. And Can't. they don't want to lose their job. So they're right. going to act like they're fine. Right. <laughs> you know, well, so y'all focused on a, a couple of things and obviously we, we've touched on some, but I, I definitely wanted to explore uh, the gap science that both of y'all co-founded and, and created. So how long has this been around? Uh, y'all just started <laughs> this? What's, what's, when, when did all this come about? So um, we did explain that we were both supervisors at the same time. We were having struggles. Um, we had taken training courses to be a supervisor, but they weren't really tailored to forensics. And we're like, we, we need to do something about this. And that's when we created our 40 hour forensic supervision course. Um, we had our first training course, gosh, Erin, was it November of 2018? 2019, yeah, 2019. 2019, yeah. Um, and we really loved it, really enjoyed it. And we, it kind of opened our eyes like, wow, all of these other people in these other agencies are having the same struggles that we're having and there's yeah. nowhere for them to go. Um, so it kind of morphed into something more than we were planning. Um, and we, at that point, we're like, let's make an FTO course. That is something that is totally needed in the forensic science community. We need something um, tailored to the forensic units. Um, so that's how we created that course, and it kind of just went off from there. So you yeah, started so no, November of 2019, and then y'all were ready to get started in 2020. Nothing happened there to slow y'all's progress down whatsoever. Not at all, Y'all yeah. were able to just expand <laughs> and travel and do whatever you wanted, yeah, right? No, it was so. pretty funny because we, we were actually, we had that first course, and I think we had... Um, maybe 25 students in that first course, all supervisors from all over the place. And then from that course, I think we booked like six or seven more yeah. people yeah. like booked their own course from that course. And then they all got canceled because of COVID. Right. Right. But we, um, yeah, all of the stuff that we have been putting out are just really a lot of lessons that we had to learn the hard way. And we, um, we're just kind of sharing that knowledge with others, like the forensic supervision course. We cover a whole bunch of soft skills, you know, stuff like you talked about already, like DISC, 
um, communication, critical conversations, ethics, all that stuff. But then we, we also cover the hard, the hard skills too, like how to conduct an audit, how to keep stats, how to manage a budget, a budget, like all of those things that they don't teach us how to do when we start in a, in a unit. So, so like Ashley said, we started with supervision and then we realized that a lot of people were rock, uh, lacking training programs or, you know, they were made to be trainers and they didn't really know how to train people. So that was how the FTO course was born. And then we've broken a lot of those courses, some of the most popular topics into different webinars, courtesy of COVID. Yeah. So, so that forced you into an area you weren't, you weren't ready for yet, I guess. No, but, but we uh, figured it out. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So courtesy of COVID, we made a lot of things digital so people could access them um, you know, online from the comfort of their own home and agency and not have to actually travel to, um, to the classes. So, but right yeah. now we have both classes going, we have in-person stuff and webinars going for anybody that's interested in the training. Yeah. So we, uh, for those that, uh, uh, are, are watching, we of course on YouTube, Facebook. And so I have the get, uh, gapscience.com website pulled up and uh, if you're listening you can go to gapscience.com and just sort of scrolling through here we have a couple things as far as your webinars and attending and and one thing that uh, especially as a as an administrator uh, that's listening to this and wants to host a class so uh, what does that entail as far as uh, contacting y'all and like y'all have a minimum of people that y'all want to talk to or, or what are y'all looking for in hosting classes so it really depends on the area we're traveling to. So Aaron's based out of Florida and I'm based out of South Carolina. So if you're on the southeastern side of the United States, travel costs for us are much lower. So the cost of your course might be lower as well. Um, we try to have a shoot for at least a minimum of 10 attendees. Um, and that's just so we can maintain a lot of the travel costs uh, for flights or rental cars or whatever. Um, Currently, we're pretty booked for 2021. We, um, Aaron, I would say we probably are just uh, accepting applications for 2022. Yeah. Um, so you just send us an email. We'll work out, you know, the pricing details, um, accommodations. If you want to suggest a hotel for attendees to go to. Um, the training room, if you do have a training room, we need it to be able to have a projector screen and hook up to the internet, you know, just the common stuff. Um, so we love traveling. So definitely, you know, reach out to us and we will work out something. Uh, so obviously y'all, y'all certainly put on courses in, in Hawaii or in any, uh, any tropical locations and anything oh, like by that. All means. Yeah. <laughs> yes. By all means in yeah. Hawaii. Yeah. And yeah, I don't, I'm not sure if Ashley mentioned this, but um, any of our host agencies, we do offer them one free spot for every 10 um, paid tuitions. So, and we will do that up to, um, you know, 30 students. If we have 30 paying students, then an agency can get three spots for free. So this is a great way for them to get free training at their own agencies as well. So now y'all talked as far as, uh, and looking at the website, talking about um, the accreditation process and such. So yes. um, I guess talking a little bit about that, I know that 
labs are facing those type of things as far as accreditation? Uh, which accreditations, I guess, are, are y'all speaking of in reference to that? Well, you guys already have um, some state mandated stuff yes. in Texas. Yes, we do in Texas. Yes. Um, so we have, we've brought on um, Meredith Tice, Dr. Dr. Tice. Yes. She, uh, she's at the Pinellas County Sheriff's Office. She is their quality manager and she's fabulous. Um, they have a pretty big department uh, for forensics. They have around 65 um, professionals between crime scene and digital forensics and latents and all of that. And she was brought in basically to bring them from nothing to accreditation to all the units accredited. And she did that in about a year and a half. So she's an incredible resource. So uh, we brought her in to teach our accreditation series, and we also have um, another instructor, Elise Vakemsis. She's been a um, a forensic technical writer for the last like 15 years. So she manages, she uh, teaches our uh, writing SOPs and all of the documentation that goes along with accreditation. Um, Meredith's agency is accredited through ANAB. And so she does talk in her uh, course about uh, both accreditation options, but she they, she's very familiar with the ANAB process. So, um, but that course will walk you through basically start to finish of, you know, how to get started, um, everything that you need to get in line to get yourself accredited. Um, it's actually, it's, it's really fabulous. She's, she's very detailed. And uh, we actually just extended the course by one more hour. So she would have a little more time to get some more content in there for everybody. Cause we got such great feedback from the last webinar that she did. So, um, so if anybody is trying to start that process or they're in the middle of that process, and they don't, they're not sure what they need to do next. Um, that's a great course. I think for, for any of us that are walking through that process or have walked through that process, it's very, very overwhelming and um, kind of a little scary and also very expensive. So you want to make sure you get it right. Um, and it's nice to have that kind of guidance while you're walking through the steps. Yeah. And that's oh. kind of the direction forensics is heading, right? Um, there's already some states that are requiring if you're going to practice um, provide forensic services, you have to be accredited. Um, so yeah. that's kind of the direction we're heading as a as a nation. Um, so it's something to think about, even if it's not on your radar, it's not something your agency is pressuring you to do. I would start trying to get prepared for it now. No, I agree. I, I think it's something coming. And so certainly if, uh, if anyone out there needs help with their accreditation, uh, if you're looking to uh, enhance your supervision, knowledge, create an FTO program. Uh, Ashley and Aaron love to talk to you all about that. We've talked about many topics that uh, uh, crime scene and investigators and just in general uh, that we're facing. And I appreciate uh, Ashley and Aaron's uh, knowledge and experience and, and just all that they offer. Uh, certainly visit them uh, at their uh, website, gapscience.com. Uh, reach out to them. Uh, they're great to talk to, have great information to share. Uh, as always, we like to thank uh, Planet Forward for sponsoring our show and for Lone Star Radio. Uh, with either one of those, uh, this would not uh, be possible. So uh, thanks to our sponsors. And again, if uh, you would like to see a topic on the show, if you'd like to uh, 
talk about something on the show, reach out to me, Dan at crimescenetoday.com. And we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you.